Ashley Brock reading Holding the Dream by Nora Roberts, Chapter 6. Byron didn't like to interfere with his department heads, but he knew and wanted them to know that at Templeton, that at Templeton problems rose to the top. His interest in hotels and all their cross-hatched inner workings had begun, begun during a summer stint of Atlanta's Doubletree. Three months as a bellman had taught him more than the proper way to handle a guest luggage and had earned him more than enough cash to buy his first vintage car. He learned there were dramas and tragedies playing out daily, not just behind the closed doors of rooms and suites, but behind the front desk, in sales and marketing and in housekeeping and engineering. In fact, everything within the buzzing hive of a busy hotel had fascinated him, had pushed him towards sampling other aspects, from desk clerk to concierge, his courtesy about people who they were, his curiosity about people who they were, what they expected, what they dreamed of, had given him a career. He wasn't the doctor his parents had not so secretly hoped he would be, he, nor had he been the travel-weary trust fund kid his circumstances could have made him. He had a career he enjoyed, and the constant variety of life in a big hotel continually intrigued him. He was a problem solver, one who considered the individual as well as the big picture. His choice of moving into the Templeton organization had been a simple one. He spent a great deal of time studying hotels, the luxurious, the uplate, the small and tidy, the chains with their brisk pace, the old Europeans with their quiet charm, the Las Vegas ones with their flash and guardiness, Templeton Templeton had appealed to him because it was a family-run, traditional, without being stodgy, effective without sas sacrificing charm, and above all, personable. He didn't have to make it his business to know the names of the people who worked with him and under him. It was simply a part of his makeup to take an interest, to gain information. So when he smiled at the woman currently checking in, a guest called out a casual, Good morning, Linda. He wasn't aware that her pulse picked up several beats or that her fingers fumbled on the keyboard as she watched him pass through on his way to the offices. Another section of the beehive was here, ringing phones, clicking faxes, humming computer copiers, the, clack, the clank of keyboards. He passed stacks of boxes, crowded desks, he exchanged a few greetings as he went, causing several pairs of shoulders to straighten them more than a few female employees to wish they checked their lipstick. The door to his destination was open and he found Laura Templeton with a phone to her ear. She offered him a harried smile and a gesture to a chair. I'm sure, I'm sure we can arrange that. Mr. Humble in catering. Yes, yes, I understand how important it is. Mr. Humble, she broke up, rolled her eyes around. How many extra chairs would you like, Mrs. Bingham? She listened patiently, a small smile playing on the corners. No, I'm, no, of course not. And I'm sure we'll have plenty of room if you make sure of the we make use of the terrace. Now, I don't believe it's calling for rain. It should be a lovely evening, and I'm sure your reception will be elegant. Mr. Humble, now she could Why don't I talk to Mr. Humble for you and get back to you? Yes, by new. I will. Absolutely. You're welcome. Miss Bingham, she knows. Ah, Miss Bingham is insane. Is, is she the orthodontist convention or the internal decorating? Decorating, she had to say. She had decided at the last minute that she simply must give a reception tonight for 60 or her closest friends and associates. For reasons I can't explain, she doesn't trust Bob Humble to pull it off. Templeton, Byron said and smiled at her. The trouble is your name is Templeton, which 
put you in a lofty position. She wouldn't know it, it from her office, he thought. It was tiny, cramped, and windowless. He knew she'd chosen the position in the workspace herself when she had decided to squeeze out time for a part-time job at the hotel. Byron didn't know how she managed her family and home, the shop, the hotel, but she seemed to him to be the soul of serenity and quiet affection. Until she, until you looked close enough at the eyes there, shadowed in their late gray depths were doubt and worry and grief, remnants, he thought, of a shattered marriage. You didn't have to come down here, Byron, she finished scribbling notes to herself as she spoke. I would have made it up to the office this morning. Is all right problem with the two soldiers you think orthodontists would have a little decor wouldn't you with a sigh she pulled papers out of her file we've got complaints from both bars but that's nothing i can't handle i've yet to come across anything you can't handle i appreciate that but there's a delicate situation one of the doctors apparently was having a let's say intimate moment with one of the other doctors when her husband decided to pay an unannounced surprise visit <laughs> God, I love this job. I heard so much. It's like running. It's like a long running soap opera. Easy for you to say. I spent an hour this morning dealing with the pendant woman. She sat where you are, spilling out tears in the whole sordid story of her marriage, her affairs, her therapy. <laughs> Weary with the memory, Lori pressed her fingers to the inside corner of her eye, almost relieving the tension that was living there. This is her third husband, and she claims to be addicted to adultery. She should go on Oprah, women who are addicted to adultery and the men who love them. Do you want me to talk to her? No, I think I sent her off steady enough. Our problem is the husband wasn't too thrilled to find his wife and his, she wants, his brother-in-law wrapped in matching Templeton robes. It just gets better. Don't stop now. The husband popped his brother-in-law, who I should add for clarification, is married to one, to our heroine's sister, in the mouth. Knocked out several thousand dollars worth of caps and so forth. There was some damage to the room, nothing major. A couple of lamps and crockery. She waved that away. But her problem was that the guy with the broken mouth is threatening to sue the hotel. Another victim. He hadn't been so amused with the scenario. He would have sighed. What's his rationality? That the hotel was responsible for letting the husband in. He, the husband, called troop service from a houseboat ordering champagne and strawberries for his wife's room. He had a dozen roses with him, she had. Then he waited until the wine arrived, slipped into the room behind the waiter, and well, the rest is history. I don't think we've got any real problem here, but I'll take the file. I appreciate it. Relieve her past the torch. I talked to the man myself, but I get the impression he's not too keen on women in authority. And to be honest, I'm swamped. The orthodontists have their bouquet banquet tonight, and the cosmetic people are coming in tomorrow. And of course, Mrs. Bingham. Right. She checked her watch move. I'd better get down to catering. There was one other little thing. Standing up himself, he raised an The decorators are wrestling in the atrium. Yet, because she appreciated him, she smiled. It was second nature to lure the high nose. It was an idea I had for the shop, but since it involves a hotel, I wanted to run it by you. Laura, is your hotel? No, at the moment I work here, and you're the boss. She picked up her clipboard, passed it from one of her hands to the other. Last fall, we put on, put on a reception and charity auction at the shop. We intend to do it every year, but I was thinking we could plan another event straight. Advertising, really, a fashion show using clothes and accessories from the shop during the holiday season. 
The white ballroom would be ideal, and it's not booked for the first Saturday in December. I thought we could feature gala attire, formals, ball gowns, in addition to accessories, all from the shop. We'd advertise it in both the hotel and the resort with percentage off certificates issued to Templeton employees and guests. You got marketing in the blood. Listen, Laura, you work conventions and special events. You put an arm around her shoulder. You don't need my go ahead. I like to dot my eyes, so to speak. After I talked it over with Margot and Kate, I'll work up a proposal. Fine. She's giving them the opening even over. So how is Kate? She's holding up, of course. She occasionally drives Margot and be crazy. Aboard woman Kate isn't, Laura said with feeling. But she's competitive enough to make it work. Her smile softens. And if Margot or I so much as breathes off the book, she hisses. So that's blessing still still they damaged something inside her i don't know how serious yet but she's too together too controlled she won't talk about it won't even discuss what should be done just closes up when any of us try to draw her out kate used to be a champion tantrum thrower now her fingers fidgeted restlessly tapping a pencil plucking at papers on her She's taken this without a fight. When Margaret's career blew up and she lost her spot as the spokeswoman for Belladonna, Kate wanted to organize a protest. She actually talked about going to L.A. and picketing on Rodeo Drive. Remember, he put a smile back on Lord. I never told Margot because I managed to talk Kate out of it. But that's the way she is. She spits in claws and slaps when she's up against the personal problem. But not this time. This time she can't pull in, and I don't understand it. You're really worried about her, Byron realized. Yes, I am. So's Marco, where she would have strangled Kate a half a dozen times by now. She wants us to fill out a sheet in something called a collar pad every day. Once an accountant, he said. She carries one of those electronic memo pads in her pocket all the time. She's starting to talk about co-linking and getting online. It's terrifying. When he left, Laura caught her so much in her head. As a simple question, she asked, is everybody dump on, the, on you this way? You didn't dump my ass. Josh said you were the only man he wanted in this job. It's easy to see why. You're so different from Peter. This time she didn't just catch herself. She clenched her teeth. No, nope, I'm not getting started on that. I've already been high schedule with Mr. Miss Bingham's waiting. Thanks for taking the orthodontist off my hands. My pleasure. You might not hear very often, but you're an asset to Templeton. I'm trying to be. As she walked away, Byron turned in the opposite direction, studying her carefully in precise report as he went. At the end of the day, he met with Josh at Timbleton Resort. The office there was a sprawling room on the executive level with windows offering a view of one of the resort's two lagoon-like pools surrounded by hippos and riotous bloom and a patio with redwood tables under candy print umbrellas. Inside, it was built for comfort as well as business with a deeply cushioned leather chairs, deco lamps, and a stylish watercolor street scene of Milan. Want a beer? At the offer, Byron merely sighed low and deep. He accepted the bottle from Josh. Sorry to hear you at the end of the day. It's the first I could get away. There's no end of the day in the hotel business, Josh said. Your mother said that. Byron grinned. Susan Templeton was one of his favorite people. You know, if your father would just step aside like a gentleman, I'd beg her to marry me. 
me drink again. Then nodded at the file he put across his head. I started the factory's business over, then thought I'd just swing by personally. Instead of going behind the desk, Josh picked up the file and stretched out in the chair opposite Byron. He skimmed the reports with vague, varying reactions, a chuckle, a groan, a sigh, and an oath. That sums up my feelings, Byron concurred. I had a talk with Dr. Holderman myself a few hours ago. He's still a guest. He's got temporary caps on in a real boat, butte of a black eye. My take is he doesn't have a case, but he's pissed off enough and embarrassed enough to pursue it. Josh nodded, came to his own conclusions. And your recommendation? I'll let him. Agreed, Josh tossed the phone and says, I'll pass along the legal with that recommendation. Now, Josh settled back, the beer bottle cut loosely in his hands, his eyes scared. Why don't you tell me why you're really here? You can handle this kind of nuisance in your sleep. Byron rose to We know each other too well. Ten years on and off should be enough. What's on your mind, Byron? Okay, pal. Josh is both shot. Really? Not in that context. Byron said a bit too quickly. It was something Laura said today that got me thinking about the whole situation. Biddle made some serious allegations against her, yet they haven't pursued it, and neither has she. It's going on three weeks now. I'm going to get pissed off again. Don't stand for bubble. Josh Rosen tasted my father used to play golf with Larry Biddle. I don't know how many times he's been over to the house. He's known Kate since she was a kid. Have you talked to him? Kate almost took my head off when I threatened to. Scrounge Josh gulped down the That was okay, but then she just shut down. She seemed to shake. Seemed so shaky over the whole thing. I didn't push. Hell, I've been so wrapped in the Margo and the baby, I let it slide. We did this heartbeat thing at the doctor's today. It was so cool. You could just hear it beating away. This quick little bobbing. He stopped when he caught by Kate. He began again. That's okay. You can indulge in obsessive expected fatherhood for a minute. There's more. It's not an excuse for letting my sister dangle. He sat again, the muscle on his cheek twitching. He decided to settle with Ridgeway. Goddamn bastard cheats on Gloria, sculpts her, ignores his children, alienates half the staff at the hotel, and we end up cutting him a check for a quarter million just to avoid a premature termination suit. It's rough, Byron, but he'll be gone. He better stay gone. You could always break his nose again. Byron suggested there is that. Well, it's helped to relax. Josh rolled his shoulders. You can see I've been a little distracted the last few weeks. And Kate... She's always been so self-reliant, you begin to take it for granted. Laura's worried about her. Laura worries about everyone but Laura. Josh proved it for a moment. I haven't been able to get through to Kate. She won't talk about it, at least not to me. I haven't considered going over her head to Biddle. Is that what you're getting at? It's none of my business. The thing is, Byron studied his beer for a moment, then lifted those calm, clear eyes to Josh. He thought it through as he did any problem and had come to one conclusion. If Biddle does decide to pursue the case against her, wouldn't she be better off to take the offensive now? The threat of a nice, fat, liable suit, an unjustified suspension, loss of income, emotional distress, Byron's final finish on the Well, you're the lawyer. It took him the best part of a week, but Josh was hotly pleased when he strolled into pretenses. He just came from a meeting with the partners of Biddle and Associates, caught his wife around the waist and kissed her thrillingly to the delight of the customers knowing about the time. How I hate. Hi yourself. And what are you doing? And hi. 
Hi yourself, what are you doing in my parlor in the middle of the day? I didn't come for you. He kissed her again and barely restrained himself from laying a hand on her stubbornly flat stomach. Couldn't wait for it to go. I need to talk to Kate. Captain Quay is in the office rolling marbles and talking about strawberries. Young ones. I thought you were calling her Captain Bling these days. He wasn't insane enough. She's redoing the filing system. Color coating. Good God, what's next? Margot narrowed her eyes. She put up a bulletin board. You must be stopped. I'll go in. Need your butt. If I'm not out in 20 minutes, remember, I've always loved you. Very funny, she muttered and managed to hold the smile back until he slipped into the rear office. Josh found Kate mumbling over files. Her hair stood up in spikes, and the first two fingers of her right hand were covered with rubber tips. Less than a year, she said without turning around. And you and Laura have managed to miss by half of everything. Why the hell is the fire insurance invoice in the umbrella file? Someone should be flogged. Unamused, she turned at him. I don't have time for you, Josh. Your wife's making my life a living hell. Funny, she says the same thing about you. Despite her ferocious glare, he walked over and kissed the tip of her nose. I hear you're color-coding the files. Somebody has to. The software I install keeps clean records, but you're better off backing up with hard copy and retail. I told Margo to do this months ago, but she's more interested in selling trinkets. God knows how you can expect to keep a realtor business running by selling things. She drew in a breath, refusing to hear how foolish she sounded. My point is you can hardly keep any business successful if you don't concern yourself with details. She's been logging shoes under wardrobe instead of accessories. She needs to be punished. He grabs Kate. Let me do it. Chocolate. She jumped in the mop. Go away. I don't have time to laugh right now. I didn't come by for laughs. I need to talk to you. He pointed to Jake. So sit. Can't this wait? I have to be back in the still room in an hour. I want to get the files and shit. Sit. He repeated and gave her a brotherly nudge. I just had a meeting with Abiddle. The impatience drained out of her eyes, leaving them cold and blank. Excuse me? Don't take that tone with me, Kate. It's past time this was dealt with. She continued to take that tone, quiet and icy, as fear called at her insides. And you decided you were the one to deal with it. That's right, as your attorney. You're not my attorney! She said, we went to court to get you out of the speeding ticket three years ago. You? But, and who looked over your lease for your apartment before you signed it? Yes, but, who wrote your will? Her face turned mutism. I don't see that that has anything to do with it. I see. Idly, he studied his manicure. Just because I've handled all the pesky legal details of your life doesn't make me your lawyer. Doesn't give you the right to go behind my back and talk to Biddle, particularly since I asked you to leave it alone. Fine, it doesn't. Being your brother does. Bringing up family loyalty was, in Kate's opinion, hitting below the belt. She sprang her feet. I'm not the inequated, incapable little sister, and I won't be treated like one. I'm handling this. How? Trying to fight. He got to his feet as well by color-coding the files in here. Yes. Since he was shouting out, Kate matched her voices. By making the best of the situation, by getting on with my life, by not whining and crying, by backing down and doing nothing, he poked his finger against her, by going into denial, what's well, going on long enough? Fiddle and company know that they're facing legal action. Legal action? The blood drained out of her face. She could feel 
every drop flow. You told them I was going to sue? Oh my god. Did CC lean on the bed? Hey, he grabbed her arm. Sit down. Catch your breath. Leave me alone. Leave me the hell alone. What have you done? What needed to be done? Now come on, honey. Sit down. Jesus Christ. She exploded and rather than poke on his shoulder, she landed a punch on him. How dare you? Her collar was back flaming. How dare you threaten legal action? I didn't tell them you were going to sue. I merely left them chewing over that impression. I told you to leave it. This is my business. Mine. She threw a prayer and spun around. What gave you this brainstorm, Joshua? I'm going to kill Margot. Margot didn't have anything to do with it. Though if you would open your beady eyes for five minutes, you'd see how worried she is about you. How worried everyone is. Because he might poke her and he decided to put his hands safer in his pocket. I shouldn't have let it go this long. But I've got had things on my mind. If I hadn't dropped by and given me a push... It would have taken me longer, but I've gotten to it. Stop! Raising Archie out of here. Playback! Byron DeWitt talked to you about me. Realizing his misstep, Josh tried to quickly. Your name came up in conversation, that's all, and it started me. My name came up! Now she was breathing between clenched teeth, teeth that matched the fist ready at her sides. Anger was better, she realized the panic. Oh, I just bet it did. That son of a bitch. I should have known he couldn't keep his mouth shut. About what? Don't try to cover up and get out of my way. Her shove was fierce enough and unexpected enough to knock him back before he could make the grab. She was sailing past. Just a damn minute. I haven't finished. You go to hell. She shoved back over her shoulder, causing several customers to glance around nervously. She stormed out of the office. She said, Margo won seizing Blair before slamming the front door behind her. Well, struggling with a smile, Margo handed a bag purchased to a wide-eyed customer. That's 38.53 out of 40. So smiling, she handed over the change. And the show was free. Please come again. With the weariness of a man who understood trouble when it's with. When it started, it stared at him from sulky blue eyes. Josh approached him. Sorry about that. Well, deal with sorry later, she said under her breath. What did you do to upset her? Just like a woman, he thought. To take the woman's side. I tried to help her. You know how she hates that. Well, instead of taking your head off, did she storm off here looking like she was going to take someone else's head off? He sighed, scratching his chin. Scuffling his she finished taking my head off. Now she's going for Byron's. He sort of suggested that I help her. Margot tapped coral tip nails in the glass. Oh, I see. I really ought to call him and give him some advance warning. But when Josh reached for the phone on the counter, Margot laid a firm hand on it. Oh, no. I don't think so. We wouldn't want to spoil Kate's advantage. Margot, it's only fair. Fair has nothing to do with it, and you're going to be too busy waiting on customers to make personal calls. Now it struck his hands in Dutchess. I've got a meeting in a couple hours. I don't have time to help you out around here. Thanks to you, I'm short-handed. Knowing that wouldn't get her very far, she let her short. I'm feeling a little tired. Tired? Panic came on. You should get off the feet. You're probably right. Though she felt strong as a horse, she scooted. A stool over to the cash register and perched on it. I'll just sit here and ring up sales for the next hour. Oh, Josh, darling, be sure to offer the customer champagne. Enjoying herself, she slipped off her shoes and prepared to watch her adorable husband handle a store full of customers. The only show she the only show she would have preferred to witness was the one that would be starting shortly at the penthouse office at Templeton Monterey. The first analogy that came to Byron's mind was that of a wild, possibly rabbit 
deer charging. Kate cut through his shocked, protesting assistant like a sharp knife through quivering jelly, snarling like a feral she-wolf, and might very well have delivered the knockout punch of a flyweight champ if Byron hadn't signaled his assistant to retreat. Well, Casper, he barely missed a beat when she slammed the door with a sounding crack. What an unexpected pleasure. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to rip off your meddling nose and stuff it in your flabbed mouth. As much fun as I'm sure that'll be. Would you like a drink first? Some water? You'll look a bit flushed. Who the hell do you think you are? She sprang toward the nest, smashed her palms down on its polished and just now crowded surface. What possible right do you have to mix in my business? Do I strike you as some weak-willed, empty-headed woman who needs a man to defend her? Which one of those questions would you like me to answer first? Why don't I take them in order? He said before she could shout again. You know exactly who I am. I didn't mix in your business any more than an attentive and concerned friend would. And no, no indeed, I don't see you as weak-willed or empty-headed. I see you as stubborn, rude, and potentially dangerous. You haven't got a clue how dangerous, pal. That threat might have more weight if you take off those filing tips. They spoil the image. A strangling sound erupted from her throat as she looked down and discovered the brown rubber tips still on her fingers. Smooth and quick, she ripped them off and threw them at him just as smooth, just as quick. He caught them both before they hit his face. Good arm, he commented. I bet you play ball in school. I said I could trust you for reasons she didn't want to analyze, thinking that that made her eyes sing. I even, for one brief, foolish moment, that I could learn to like you. Now I see that my first impression of you as an arrogant, self-important, sexist jerk was totally on the mark. Her sense of betrayal was every bit as keen as her. I was reeling when you found me on the close. I was vulnerable. Everything I said there, I said to you in confidence. You had no right to run to Josh with it. He set the rubber tips on his I didn't say anything to Josh about the day on the cliffs. I don't believe you. You went to him. I don't lie, he said sharply. She glimpsed at the steel beneath the polish. Yes, I went to him. Sometimes it takes someone outside the family to put things on the table, and your family is torn up about what happened to you, Kate. More worried about the way you're behaving. My behavior isn't any of my business, he finished. We're odd that something as harmless as me speaking with Josh sends you into a tailspin of revenge and retribution. But before questioning, but being questioned about embezzlement makes you curl up in the ball in the fetal position and suck on your thumb. You don't know what I'm doing, what I'm feeling, and you have no right to pass judgment. Now, that's not all quite true. If you weren't so self-involved, you'd see that no one's passing judgment. But as an outsider, I can tell you that your family is hurting for you. Her flesh died until her cheek went. Don't lecture me about my family. Don't you dare. There's the most important people in my world to me. I'm handling this my way because of my family. He coughed as it, which means? Which means that, too, it's none of your business. He pressed fingers to her eyes, fighting for control. Nothing and no one is more on my mind than my family. You believe that without hesitation. You only felt more sorry for him. Your way of handling this situation isn't working. How the hell do you know? Because people talk to me. His voice was gentle now, and the edge of temper had smoothed out of it. Margot, Laura, Josh. Because I know how worried and angry I'd be if it was my sister. 
Well, it isn't your sister. The anger snapped back in her voice, but her cheeks they went. I'm capable of dealing with this. Josh has enough on his plate without being guilted into taking this on. Do you really think guilt has anything to do with it? She fumbled. Don't twist my words around a wit. Those were your words, pal. Now, if you're finished with your tantrum, we can discuss this. Tantrum! I heard you were good at them, but now that I've had a first-hand demonstration, I see the reports were understated. He's never taught the dark, glossy brown to turn it into fire until he watch it happen in the night. I'll show you a tantrum with one swipe. She sent most of the papers on his desk by, then raised her fist. Come out from behind that desk. Oh, you tempted me. His voice was ominously quiet, his eyes dangerously cool. I've never hit a woman in my life, and I've never had, and never have I found it necessary to make that statement before, but you tempt me, Catherine, to break all kinds of records. Now, either sit down or get out. I'm not sitting down, and I'm not getting out until we, she broke off, strangling a cry. She pressed the hand under her breast. Now, he did come out from around the desk, cursing over, damn it, damn it. What are you doing to yourself? Don't touch me. The burning pressure made her eyes water, but she struggled when he led her to a chair. You're going to sit down. You're going to try to relax. And if you don't have your collar back in 30 seconds, I'm hauling your skinny butt to the hospital. Just leave me alone. She mumbled out her antacids, knowing it was a little time. It was like trying to put out a forest fire with a water pistol. I'll be fine in a minute. How often does this happen? None of your business. She helped him paint and shock when he pressed two fingers through adamant. Do you have your appendix? Keep your hands off me, Dr. Feel Good. He only continued to frown, move his fingertips to the inside of her wrist. Been skipping meals again. Before she could evade, he caught her face in his hands and took a long, objective look. Her collar was seeping back slowly, and her eyes were filled with temper again rather than pain, but he saw other things. You're not sleeping. You're tired. Overstressed and undernourished. Is this how you're handling this? Your stomach quivered and echo pain. I want you to leave me alone. You don't always get what you want. You're exhausted, Kate, and until you start taking better care of yourself, someone else has to do it for you. Be still. He uttered an absent murmur, holding a hand on her shoulder as he checked the watch. I'm tied up here until after six. I'll pick you up at seven. Will you be at the shop or at home? What the hell are you talking about? I'm not going anywhere with you. I realize I'm annoyed with myself for handling this matter badly. You do seem to bring out the worst in me. He added mostly to himself. So you're going to get a decent meal and the opportunity to discuss these gripes of yours in a civilized manner. It was frightening to her. The casual minute he assumed the glint of heat in his eyes that warned her he could shift out of casual mode at any moment. I don't want to have a dinner with you and I'm not feeling civilized <laughs> considering... He rocked back on his heels so that their eyes were open. Let's try it this way. You go along with this, or I pick up the phone and call Laura. It should take her about two minutes to get up here. And when she does, I'll tell her that twice now. I've seen you go white and double over. Yeah, no fright. No, Kate. What I have here is the hammer that beats the hell out of rights. He checked his watch. I have a conference call coming through in about five minutes, or we'll finish more of this now. Since the reasonable thing for you is to go home and get some rest, I'll assume you'll go back to the shop and I'll pick you up at seven. Trap! She nudged him aside and got her feet. We close at six. Then you'll have to wait, won't you? And don't slam the door on your way out.
Of course he did, and he found he had to smile, but the smile faded when he picked up the phone and hurriedly punched in the Dr. Margaret DeWitt, please, it's her son. Another look at his watch brought out a mouth of, No, I can't wait. Would you ask her to call me when she's free? The office before six at home after seven. Thanks. He hung up. He began to put in order the papers. Kate had scattered. Almost amused, he pocketed the filing tips she left behind. He doubted that Kate would appreciate him calling his mother. The internists for an over-the-phone diagnosis of her symptoms, but somebody had to look out for her, whether she wanted it or not. End of chapter 6.